Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. We're going to try something new today. As you're all no doubt aware, the world has changed as a result of this COVID-19 pandemic. And as Christians, we're adjusting and finding new ways to encourage and edify one another. One of the things we're trying here at Into the Word is a live discussion program every Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The program is called Going Deeper Online, and in it, I will facilitate a conversation about the previous week's readings in the RMM Bible Reading Plan with several of my friends and fellow users. If you join us live on the End of the Word YouTube page or the End of the Word Facebook page, you'll be able to submit questions, and we will leave some space at the end of each program to address them. You can also send in your questions over the course of the week via the End of the Word Facebook page. Whether or not we keep doing this after the end of COVID-19 or not, only the Lord knows. But it is a privilege to open the Bible together and to hear from one another what the Lord is saying through his marvelous word. Thanks be to God. So without further ado, welcome to this very first episode of Going Deeper Online. Hey there, friends. Welcome. Pastor Paul Carter here from Cornerstone Baptist Church, and I am joined by my three good friends and fellow RMM users, and uh, we are excited to be here talking to you and opening the Word of God together. So I don't know how your screen is arranged. In my top left, uh, we have uh, Mark Bertrand, and then in my bottom left, we have uh, my friend Miranda Webster. She is from TGC Canada and uh, from the great nation of Texas, but actually not too far from here as the crow flies uh, just down the road. And then uh, we also have Jesse Stewart down there in Glendale. Is it is that the best way to say it? Uh, is it? It's Glendale, Kentucky, right, Jess? That's right, Glendale, Kentucky. Yeah. Right on. Well, we're glad to have all of you. Actually, I didn't say where Mark is from. I just said he was my old friend. He doesn't, you know, live in my closet. Where are you from, Mark? Uh, I pastor uh, the church in Walsh, which is near, uh, just off Lake Erie, near the town of Simcoe. Right on. Good. Well, thank you for being here. Appreciate you. And uh, thank you for, for all those who are joining us. Uh, the concept for this Going Deeper Online is uh, pretty simple. We, we're all uh, users of the same Bible reading plan. I started using it in 2012. Uh, we, we wanted to get all of our people kind of feeding from the same area of God's word as a church so that it, it could be an aid to Christian conversation uh, so that we could organize some small groups around it. And I found it very, very helpful. Mark, you were using it even before then, were you not? I don't know if we discussed when we both started. I've been using it for about a decade. Yeah. And then uh, Jesse and Miranda are uh, reasonably longtime users. Jesse, you probably started using it in 2012 too, didn't you? Yeah, 2012 or 2013. Yeah. Was, yeah. What about yourself, Miranda? Probably about the last five years. Yeah. It's, uh, we certainly didn't invent this plan. Uh, this is the plan that D.A. Carson uses, J. Alec Machir. There's a number of people who found this plan to be very, very helpful. You don't have to be using this plan in order to follow along with us. Uh, if you'd like to find it, you can go to the Into the Word uh, website page, which is just www.intotheword.ca. And then under the About tab, you can just click on it. There's a link. And then I also stuck 
in uh, in the promo for this that we put out this afternoon, I, I put a link right to the uh, reading plan in the comment section so you can find it there. But even if you uh, haven't been using the plan, you can just uh, listen in and, and as we talk about various readings. Our, our plan is just to talk about uh, how the Lord has been pressing the word on us and ministering to our hearts over the last week through uh, through the reading plan. So uh, before we get started, I'm going to ask uh, my, my friend Mark there if he would open us in prayer, and then we'll just begin talking about the word together. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be together, even as we're separated. And Father, we pray that as we open the word together tonight, uh, Lord, that you might use it to sharpen one another, Lord, that we might find in it new insights. Lord, we know that you have promised your Holy Spirit as a, as a teacher uh, who will lead us into truth. And so we pray, Lord, for those who, who may be watching, Lord, that they might uh, be challenged by this and that they might be encouraged by this. And Father, that the word would do what you promised the word would do and would bring forth fruit. And so, Father, we just ask your, uh, your wisdom and your guidance for each one of us as we spend this time together now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, amen. Uh, it would be great if you, if you are watching on, if you could announce yourself in the comments section. Uh, this is on Facebook at the end of the word Facebook page. This is on uh, the TGC Canada Facebook page. And then this is also at, um, on YouTube at the end of the word YouTube page. And the smart people who run our technology tell me that it would be helpful if you subscribed to our end of the word Facebook or into the word YouTube page, something magical will happen. It'll be easier to find and everyone will be happy if you do that. I don't understand it, uh, but it would be marvelous. And then also in the comment section, if you could put any questions that you may have from, uh, from your readings over the past week, uh, we'd be happy to get to those. And we've scheduled some time for that as well. Well, I want to start with this. Uh, as everybody knows, uh, the whole reason we're doing this is because these are very unusual times. Uh, I would imagine that all of us here are teaching Bible studies in small groups in one way or the other during normal times, but we can't do that. Uh, all of our groups have been canceled. And uh, somebody, I, I think it was Paul Martin, said he's absolutely sick and tired of people using the word unprecedented. Uh, well, I told him to get used to it because there's no other word for it. There's no other generation that's been through this. Uh, you'd have to go back as far as the uh, Spanish flu in 1918. So there's nobody alive today who can give us guidance or help with this. These, these are, for us anyway, uh, unprecedented times. And, and so I'm just curious to start off with how you're reacting to that and how it's affecting you in your spiritual disciplines. Uh, are, are, you, are you more distracted? I found that I was distracted, had, having a hard time uh, paying attention, reading, because I was thinking about the news for the first couple of days, uh, but but now I actually feel like I'm I'm being drawn deeper in the Word. So I'd love to hear from each of you. How has this COVID nineteen thing affected your spiritual disciplines? And Miranda, well, why don't we start with you? Okay, great. Yeah, I would say thankfully, like my Bible study and my reading times haven't been greatly affected. Um, during this time, but like any other time, you know, Bible reading requires discipline and it requires setting aside the time and being intentional. And so I think that um, this can be hard when all of your norms and your rituals and your routines are interrupted and um, you no longer have those. Um, now at this point in the pandemic, and the pandemic, I'll get it out eventually. <laughs> um, you know, we kind of are getting into more of a norm. This is somewhat of our norms. So I would say like, especially in the beginning, it's 
And at other points, there's this overwhelming sense of what is going on? How, um, you know, how will my life personally, but then even like globally, what is this going to look like afterwards? And it certainly is so helpful for me just spiritually and personally to go to the word to see how these things aren't um, new and it, hard times are not new. And that brings me great comfort. And so seeing the eternal truths of the scripture, it just speaks to my heart. And I find great comfort in that, just like other times mm -hmm. in my own life. Yeah. Mark, how about you? Uh, you know, for me, my, my personal devotional time always for me has happened early in the morning. And because I, I don't have the same issue you do, my kids all are teenagers. And yeah. so teenagers, they don't get out of their bed until you go bang on their door and make them get out. So I work from home. My study is in my home, but uh, it's the one part of my life that has actually remained consistent. Everything else seems to be a little bit in turmoil. The, the one thing I have uh, noticed in, in my devotional time is, uh, you know, I, I become more aware of how the experience that we have had for the last hundred years is probably the anomaly as opposed yeah. to the norm. As, as you're yeah. reading all of the readings, I mean, Paul is in prison. Uh, mm -hmm. Moses is wandering in the wilderness with the Israelites. Or, you know, everybody, you know, David is hiding in a cave. Um, you go, hey, my experience is the thing that's not been normal. Uh, the experience I'm having now, this is actually closer to the experiences a lot of people are having. So that that's enriched some of my reading, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Jesse, how about you? Yeah, I, I honestly, I think I've been freshly reminded just of my own mortality, uh, you know, in the face of this widespread sickness. Uh, you know, one verse that's been on my heart for the last month has been James 4, 14, which is yet you do not know, even know what will happen tomorrow. What's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And so I think this COVID crisis has been sort of a fresh mind, reminder to myself that life is a vapor. Uh, you know, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so I've just been praying that God would give me a heart of wisdom that I would number my days and that I, I, that I would always live with this fresh sense uh, of my own uh, transience and that God would help me to maximize my short time here on earth. And I, I think I've just been really freshly reminded of that in my prayer times uh, with the Lord. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. One of the things I say frequently from the pulpit, I, obviously I won't be saying it probably for a while, uh, is, is that we are a weird generation. Like we're probably the first people in human history to have 70 consecutive years of increasing peace and prosperity as, as Christians. Like I, I don't know whether that's happened. It certainly doesn't happen often. So as you say, Mark, we're the anomaly. And and the distance, the gap between us and what seems normal in the Bible is, is shrinking. And it certainly feels to be shrinking. Uh, it feels as though it's shrinking right now, for sure. Now, so let me ask a question, though. Is there a danger? Maybe there isn't. But is there a danger that all of a sudden every verse means COVID-19? You know, that we're, you know, I've got a great book on my shelf, Jesus on every page. And that's legit. But is there a sense in which maybe we're guilty now of COVID-19 on every page? How do you guard against that? Not all at once. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I have noticed an uptick on, uh, on, on 
social media, and uh, I, I'm a Facebook guy, uh, not a Twitter guy. But uh, by the way, do you remember when I used to make fun of you for being on Facebook? I, I, I <laughs> and then you, you told me that I needed to get on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, uh, thanks you know, for that. Anyway, uh, carry on. But uh, you know what's interesting is is uh, you know the the number of people, and and we'll probably get into this a little bit as we move through some of the New Testament readings, but. Um, that uh, are are ready immediately to to find uh, some end time prophecy in every aspect yeah. of COVID. Yes. Um, for 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 me, as as we're um, reading, I tell you this: um, when I got married, all of the passages in Scripture that talk about marriage they didn't change; they meant what they meant, but I understood them in a different way. Yeah, and when I had children. All of the passages in Scripture that talk about children and a father, they didn't change, but it changed how I experienced them. And so for me, what COVID-19 has done is not that it's, I'm finding it on every page, but the experience of certain people, you know, when I get frustrated and go, man, I just want to, I want to go outside and do something, you know, I, I suddenly go, man, I, I think I understand a little bit more of the enormous patience that the Apostle Paul has as he's writing prison letters. Yeah. You know, I think that's that can help all of us as we're reading to just sort of go, you know, this helps me understand a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything you two want to add on there? Is, it, is there a danger of seeing COVID-19 on every page or is it just a blessing to, you know, to, to have some things pop out? Yeah, you know, I, I think we need to be careful, right? Uh, not to overinterpret the COVID crisis as, you know, God is judging me or God is judging this particular nation for this yeah. particular sin. Like, I, I just don't think we've been given that kind of particular knowledge uh, on those things. But instead, I think we just need to realize that in God's uh, dark providence, he's permitted this pandemic to teach us our need for him and that uh, he, God permits afflictions uh, upon his people, upon others to you know, shake them of those things they might have been holding to for security. So I, I think that that might be something that uh, the Lord is doing uh, through uh, this difficult time is he's he's wanting us to let go of those things that make us feel secure so that we can only find uh, security in him. And so I think that that plays into our Bible reading. So when we look at our Bible, we don't see on every page. This is every time there's, you know, snakes in the wilderness. That's not COVID. You know, um, that's actually pointing to our sin. And we need to be looking to Jesus, John 3, who was raised up like the serpent in the wilderness. So, um, yeah, you, you don't want to read COVID into every every text. Uh, but I think we need to be reminded that our sin is the, you know, the deeper disease that we need to be worried about eternally. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, don't yeah have... I was thinking, sorry, go ahead, Miranda. Oh, it's okay. Sorry about that. I, I don't have necessarily anything other that the guys um, added, but just kind of almost like self examination of why we turn to the scriptures anyway so if we're always turning to the scriptures to have like um for some kind of application which of course it does apply to our lives and it does uh the truths the implications do apply to the way we think and live and speak but if ultimately the scriptures are there to know god and to love god and to um to deepen our understanding and our relationship with him that he's there um, and, and that helps us through this crisis and this circumstance to see his um, eternal steadfast love as we're reading through the Psalms and seeing these characteristics and being reminded of that. And so I guess 
there are times to reorient ourselves and just say, okay, like just read this and explore it and think critically about it. And what is it just saying? Um, and then kind of go, okay, often too, you may go, wow, I have a, a lot easier than David, um, who, you know, is in the cleft of the rock, or I've never had arrows flying at me from literal enemies. So um, though these enemies like germs, the COVID virus, we can't see them, but kind of not trying to contextualize everything and make it apply to us, but just yeah. having a deeper and richer understanding of who God is. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I, I, I think there is a danger in, in trying to make every passage speak in a specific way to this situation. Um, but I, I think in a very helpful way, it opens our eyes with greater clarity or, or sharpens our, our attention uh, mm -hmm. to everything the Bible says. I, I think of Psalm 119, 71, where David says, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes, right? We, uh, there's a sense in which I think affliction makes us better Bible readers, just in general. Um, I, just tonight for Family Devos, we were, uh, we were in First Peter and uh, was just talking to the kids about what that verse means. The one who has suffered is done with sin. Like there's a sense in, in, in which um, suffering sharpens us. It sharpens our sense of priorities. It sharpens our focus. It's, you know, in a, in a, in a way that you want to be careful about saying it, it is, it is good for us. It's good for us as Bible readers. It's good for us just as Christians in general. Uh, so walk me through that. I'd love to hear just on a particular sense, some of the passages that have, have popped for you, you know, so David says that his affliction made him a better Bible reader. He saw stuff. Just walk me through some of what you saw, even this past week in our readings with COVID-19 eyes with fresh, fresh focus. And anyone can jump in. It's, uh, you know, the funny thing with technology is it's harder to read body cues. Like when somebody's leaning in, are they about to speak or not? So we'll just forgive you if you step on somebody, but just, you know, kind of jump in there. Well, I, I actually had a thought. So uh, as I've been reading through Leviticus and, you know, these quarantine passages, I, yeah, I, really, yeah. I feel so sorry for all of the lepers who had to be cast out of the camp and had to live life on their own for seven days and then 17 yeah. more days and they weren't clean and they had to kind of I, I thought you were going to say i feel so sorry for all the times I, I i slammed leviticus in my mind as irrelevant and not not uh, uh <laughs> relevant to the times now it sure looks relevant doesn't it right right yeah. absolutely and i can i can definitely tell um what what it's like to be you know on your own in your own little space and you can't really go anywhere and it's yeah. uh it, it's affecting our mental health it's yeah, like it's, sure. it's, it's a whole whole lot of uh negative negative aspects that happen but uh, so, yeah, I, I think I just I feel for those who are in, in that situation. Also, I, I would say, uh, you know, leprosy as a parable for sin. Yes. You know, you know and uh, well, just disease in general. Uh, that's really popping for me as I read through Leviticus, just just how disease is a metaphor for sin. hundred percent. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, I don't I don't want to, you know, over. Uh, contextualize what's going on here, but, or over uh, Christologize what's going on here. But in the new Testament, what do we see when someone is in unrepentant sin, they're, they're covered completely in sin. Then what happens? The covenant, they need to leave the covenant community for a time yeah. of restoration until yeah. you welcome them back. And so I think this passage really teaches us about how we do church. Yeah. Yeah. That interesting, Jesse, I, I, I stuck this up on, on the end of the word Facebook page, but um, I, I wrote something in my Bible. I'm, I'm creating, I, I go through journaling Bibles and then I give them to my kids every, every four years. 
Um, but I wrote in my Bible last year, because of course with the RMM plan, you're reading the same passages and the same date every year. But so exactly one year ago, last week, mm-hmm. I wrote in, in the margin of my journal Bible, quarantine is a brutal, but often necessary measure. It is in some ways a foreshadowing of hell. Mm-hmm. I wrote that in 2019, but I'll tell you this, this year that really popped for me that that metaphor came alive because I've, I mean, it's it's a metaphor for hell. It's it's not actual hell, but it, it, it does help you understand just how devastating isolation is and, and how it is it's disease, it's sin that cuts us off from God and from others. I mean, that metaphor makes sense to me in a way that it didn't even a year ago. Yeah. I, I, anyone else? What's popping for you? I'll I'll go. It's yeah, please. Funny about the um with Leviticus too, because as I've been reading through Leviticus, it seems like the whole book of Leviticus um, is just pointing to how unclean and unholy yeah. we are, just our bodies and just who we are, the corruption of ourselves, and how Leviticus paired really well with Psalm 15 and 16, where David asks the question, who can dwell with God? Um, he who has clean hands and a pure heart and yes. doesn't speak anything. It's like Leviticus, even at that point, I was reading, I think, um, the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, and then Psalm 15, who can dwell with God? And then the question is, no one, no one can dwell with God, because no one has a clean hands and a pure heart and is blameless. And then if you read Psalm 16, um, David says, uh, he answers, you know, he answers the question, who can dwell with God, by saying, he who walks blamelessly and does what's right but then he goes on in psalm 16 to say i have no good apart from you god and this sense of how all of the scripture there's this theme of inadequacy apart from god and how you know we see it in the garden and then again of course uh in romans the apostle paul makes it so clear you know there is no one good no not one and 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 that is hard. I mean, you read Leviticus 16 or, or you read Leviticus in these other places. And if you want to try to perform or to be good or to try to, to earn, you will fall short. And it's like coming to terms of, yeah, no, you can never be clean enough to be in the presence of God. Your very bodies will make you unclean. And yet there's a, it's so comforting to know that we have some, the great, you know, atonement through Christ. Um, to make us clean so that we can dwell with God and to be there in Psalm 15. But then even like secondly in the the New Testament, just um, kind of through the comforting passages, I I was reflecting on that this morning and I was thinking of um, C.S. Lewis's Four Loves and he talks about the love of friendship and how two friends are looking out at the same thing and they turn to one another and say, you too. And so, so much of the, the Psalms it, and through the scripture, it's like we're looking at that in our hardship and we're saying, you too, you yeah. too have gone through suffering. You too have gone through hardship. And there's a great empathy in that because um, it helps me to know, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person that has felt despair, despondency or um, these things. So anyway, there's kind of some of my reflections on the readings this week. Right on. How about you, Mark? Um, yeah, for, yeah all, all sorts of different things. And I mean, I've, I've kind of been seeding it all the way along just with uh, perceptions of, of how 
the writers of scripture are experiencing their lives and, and how I'm experiencing something that is, is maybe somewhat akin to them. If anything, I've been helped particularly by the Psalms because I, I often use the Psalms as the, the, the framework for my prayer. And uh, um, I, I find if, if COVID-19 has had any effect on me and it has, it has uh, uh, um, tempted me to frustration and sometimes a little bit of a shorter temper which means that my prayer time is, is that's a time when, you know, I, I, I want to spend my prayer time getting close to God, getting right with God. And, and so I, I've, I've found the Psalms to be particularly helpful. I, I really like the section of Psalms we're in right now. The, the late teens, the early twenties has got some really rich stuff. Yeah, for sure. I, I found it um, um, very interesting, providential. Jesse used the term uh, dark providence a few minutes ago. I don't know if there's a category for humorous pro providence, but uh, it was interesting that last week, twice, we ran across that proverb. It's in Proverbs 22, verse 3, and then Proverbs 27, 12, and it's repeated word for word. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. And I just thought, man, that's that's almost funny that God assumed that we wouldn't get it the first time. So twice in a week when we were all really wrestling with you know, is this self-quarantine? Is this something that we have to do? You know, is it, it, it was just remarkable that that was there. Hey, this is prudent, you know, and I'm not making any comment about how long it should go or what the cost is. I'm just saying, you know, there's, there's some prudence here and it, it is not unfaithful to be wise and prudent. And I just thought that was, that was really interesting. Uh, Mark, we've been kicking around Leviticus a little bit and um, every year at this time, it, uh, Bible reading plans are abandoned left, right, and center because uh, it's, you know, Genesis is a lot of fun to read, all those stories. I mean, half of the good stories in the Bible are in the book of Genesis. And, uh, and then Exodus is, uh, it's like a movie. And, uh, but then you, you, right in April, you bump hard into Leviticus. And uh, for a lot of people, this is the death of, of their Bible reading resolution. So a couple of years ago, I think it was two years ago, or maybe it was last year, but I think maybe two years ago, I asked you to write a little article on why Christians should bother reading Leviticus. I wonder if you could give us the, uh, you know, the two minute version of that. I'll give you the three and a half minute version. See how, but, uh, um, you know, the, the, the two significant themes of Leviticus, and I preached extended, an extended sermon series on Leviticus for my congregation. And uh, uh, it's funny because I think I started hearing from people well, at least it's not numbers, and I, that kind of worked <laughs> which is head. which is a challenge for you, isn't it? Yeah. You're doing numbers now, right? I'm preaching an extended series through the book of Numbers right now. So, but we had a gap. Well, at least it's not Second Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, you know, yeah, I'll blame you later. That. <laughs> um, we do go to the New Testament sometimes, but um, you know, you if if you cannot see Christ in the Old Testament, you are reading it wrong. Yeah. Because Jesus himself said, Moses speaks of me. I mean, when, when Jesus walks along the road to Emmaus, he shows them uh, from the scriptures all that Christ must suffer in order to enter his glory. He's showing them the Old Testament. When the apostles go out preaching and they start in synagogue after synagogue, why are they at the synagogues in the book of Acts? It's because the synagogues have the scriptures and they want to preach the gospel from the scriptures. And the scriptures at that time are only 39 books and they're all Old Testament books. 
the book of Leviticus is, is probably the most besieged book in the Old Testament by, uh, by the devil, the liberals who hate it. And, and my reason for preaching, I said, why, why is this book so hated? It, the book of Leviticus, the two themes in it are holiness to the Lord and blood atonement. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and if you lose the book of Leviticus, the, the very heart of our ideas of substitutionary atonement, they don't come from Isaiah. Isaiah is playing off Leviticus. They come out of Leviticus. Um, go out into your field, find the very best animal that you have, one without blemish, bring it to the priest, lay your hand upon the animal, shed its blood, put it on the altar, and, and repeat this. There's five different sacrifices. They're repeated over and over and over again. Um, holiness to the Lord, uh, the idea of a substitute. How, how can an unholy people, a people who know themselves to be sinful and so not worthy of God, enter into the presence of God? God says, I will make provision for you. And here's the provision. You need to go find yourself a lamb or a goat or a bull, as the case may be, and bring it to the priest. And the priest will do this thing. Um, and, and I could ramble here. And I mean, I'm trying not to. But let me say this. When John the Baptist points to Jesus mm -hmm. and yep. says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, those words are stripped of meaning without the book of Leviticus. Yeah, I think I said last Sunday, uh, the fastest way to make a heresy is to read the New Testament without first having read the Old Testament, right? Uh, all the frames of reference, all the metaphors, those are, you know, the New Testament is a painting that is painted with colors lifted from the Old Testament canvas. Yeah. And so if, if you're not familiar with, with those Old Testament canvases, then you're going to make a hash of the New Testament. And, and unfortunately, we see that again and again and again. And, and you're right. You cannot understand the cross of Jesus Christ without wrestling with the book of Leviticus. So it is, thanks. It's good to get help because mm -hmm. especially your first two or three or four or seven times through the book of Leviticus and the yeah. book of Numbers and the second half of the book of Exodus, um, you're looking at things that were symbolic for the Israelite people. They weren't magical. The, the Israelites didn't believe, hey, you could just automatically do this sacrifice and it doesn't matter what's going on in your heart. That's going right. to count. I mean, they, the prophets deal with that. So they're symbolic to Israel. And I think it's intentionally God gives them these things and doesn't tell them exactly what they mean because i think he intends them to be having these conversations around their table yeah. and as they walk in through what why do we do this what does this well, as they're in line like i can i can just envision yeah. a dad and his lad you know standing there with the sheep and it's like what are we doing with with jimmy the sheep what you know what's what's going to happen up there and why is that uh, you know why does god demand us to kill this 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 animal and uh what a great opportunity to have conversations with your kids around very tactile experiences. Yeah, and it's yeah, for a for a probably a pre-literate people, everything is tactile. It is sight, yeah. it is sound, it is yeah. smell, and and it's we all forget that it was originally a drama. We read it as a as a as a book, but it yeah. was originally a drama. Right, they saw it, and I mean, they, yeah, they smelled it. The priest in his robes with his ephod and all. The, and mm -hmm. the other thing to keep in mind is, is that it's typological. It, yeah. All of it, every aspect of it points to Christ. Jesus says that. It, yeah. Moses speaks of me. And you go, is that the primary reason? It is the primary meaning of those texts. And the, how can it be primary when the Israelites couldn't know Jesus? 
Well, it's because God is omnipotent and omniscient. He knows where he's going. He knows what he's driving at. And so way back here, he begins the primer by giving them the little tiny letters that will fit together into the sentences that will ultimately become the story so that when they see it enacted before them, finally, the real thing, yeah. they go, I, I, I understand. Yeah, it's, it's 1400 years of dramatic preparation yeah. to recognize the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah. And, and either you two want to jump in on just how uh, how you can help people get excited about Leviticus. Well, we're preaching through the book of Hebrews right now. And oh, yeah. as, you, as you know, uh, the yeah. book of Hebrews is full of quotations from Leviticus. Yeah. And one thing uh, that I've really felt the Lord pressing in on my heart was uh, just how the old covenant law was like a shadow that foreshadowed, pointed towards, anticipated Christ but not just Christ, but the whole new covenant and all the benefits therein, meaning that the giving of the Holy Spirit and the cleansing, the true cleansing, the purging of the conscience that comes like, I'm reminded of uh, Hebrews 9, 14, and just for the relevance for my own Christian walk, Hebrews 9, 14 says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so in the old covenant, you know, how was blood applied? what what cleansing agent was used it was hyssop but now in the new covenant we have a greater cleansing agent which is actually the person of the holy spirit uh applying the um the the blood of christ uh, to our hearts or the benefits uh of the moment and so uh, i i'm just i'm filled just to the brim just with the richness of leviticus when i read hebrews which is yeah. you know the inspired commentary on the, on that book so I, yeah. I i really hope that somebody who's struggling with leviticus might e- even look to hebrews just to just to see jesus in there mm-hmm. yeah and to go back and forth like i would think if you read leviticus and then a gospel and then hebrews and then went back and did, if you did that probably for each of the four gospels so leviticus one of the gospels hebrews leviticus one of the gospels hebrews by the time you've done it four times i i bet you're seeing what's there Absolutely. Yeah. How about you, Miranda? I would just like very practically, like as you read through, um, and this would go with any reading really through the scriptures, just, just write down your questions. Yeah. If there are things that you do know um, that are like pointing to, like if you can see the New Testament connection in Leviticus, like make note of that, go and see it or look at your cross-reference. But what resources, like what would be a good beginner commentary of like Mark, you were talking about like some help for people because there are big chunks of that that are very confusing. Um, And I'm sure we'll get there of like, okay, well, what, why is that important? And then like, if you go through Bible college or something, like you have your classic things that when you're really immature, like, okay, the pooping outside of the camp, like, I mean, we're there, it's relative to what we're talking about, but like, that's the stuff that we like to, to joke about, but like, yeah. what's the, what is that? What's and the point of it all. Yeah. What's the point of that? And why should I? Yeah. We get the big one. We get that the lamb points to Jesus. What, yeah. what about pooping outside the camp? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. What, Mark, do you, you do you have a, a good recommendation for a starter commentary on Leviticus? Yeah, I, I do. And um, this, this little one here is called, this is not on Leviticus per se, but it deal. it's called A Manual in Our Place by Tremper Longman III. It's not a long read and it's it's very involved, uh, very involved. It's very, um, it's very user-friendly. Uh, he talks, he begins with sacred space, talking about altars, 
moves on to sacred acts and, and gets into some of the things in Leviticus, sacred people, the priesthood, uh, and sacred time. And um, when I was preaching through Leviticus, this was one that kind of added some color. Uh, you can also play stump the pastor, write down your question, take it back to the pastor. I actually had somebody in my congregation send me this question today, not from Leviticus, but from Exodus. Um, and it was fantastic. Said, um, um, and I love it when I get questions like this from my congregation that I go, huh, I've never asked that question before. I've got to go look up. Um, ask the question, how did Moses atone for killing the Egyptian who was beating an Israelite? And did God forgive him? Mm. I'm like, that's a good question. Um, I got some initial ideas, but uh, give me some time to. Get, so, I mean, asking, I, I, I always think it's best. God has given you a pastor for a reason. If, you, if you're part of a church, um, ask your pastor and it, it helps him. Um, but also, I mean, that little book is good. There's lots of books, but that's a, that's a fairly brief book that most people would find accessible. So it's called yeah. a manual in our place. Thanks. I, I enjoyed it. Yep. Yeah. One of the other, uh, I always recommend for people as a starter, uh, the Tyndale Old Testament series and the Tyndale New Testament series. Uh, so Tyndale Old Testament commentary, Tyndale New Testament commentary. Those are phenomenal introductions, I find. They're, most of them are about 200 pages or 190 pages, some, you know, 190 to 250. Um, and uh, they're just phenomenal. They're non-technical. You don't have to speak Greek or Hebrew to, to access them. Uh, and they, they tend to, I, I think that should be your first commentary on every book of the Bible. And then you can, you can add more significant stuff after that. Good. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, let's, let's move on from Leviticus. If Leviticus is the most foreign book of the Bible, and I think we, for the first time reader, I think we would agree that it is. Uh, first Timothy might contain the most foreign chapter, or maybe even the most offensive uh, chapter to our modern sensibilities. And we read this past week, we read First Timothy 2. Uh, which might contain the most offensive verse uh, in the New Testament. So, uh, Jesse, I know that you and I have have talked at some length about First Timothy and First Timothy two in in particular. I'm just curious, as a young guy, if you could narrate your uh, you had to wrestle with that on your way into ministry because that's kind of one of those dividing issues, right? Left to right, it can how you understand First Timothy two can determine what denomination you get ordained in. Yeah. So, you know, walk us through that. How did how did you wrestle with that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Pastor Paul, what the end of First Timothy 2 is all about is really God's great design for men and women in, in the church. And, and that really is a contentious issue in our modern culture today, which is, I think is what you're referring to with the dividing yeah. issue. And that design at the end of First uh, Timothy 2 is taken from Genesis 2, uh, where God created men and women equal but different. And so when, when Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, he's saying, listen, uh, teaching and oversight is the role of qualified men uh, in the church. This role is not given uh, to women. And then he gives the reason. And he says, because Adam was formed first and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but, uh, but Eve. And so God forming Adam first meant that, um, Adam was the loving authority in Eve's life. That's what, that's how Paul's understanding that he's the, he's the head in the relationship, the uh, loving authority. And likewise, qualified men in the church should also be the loving authority uh, in the church. So we're, we're equal, but different women and men are equally created in the image of God. We are, uh, we have equal dignity, value, worth, but we, we have different roles that are complementary. And then I, I think, uh, probably the most difficult part of this text is 
what comes right after that in verse 15. Yeah, uh, that's what I meant when I said that's that might be the most offensive verse in the New Testament for uh, first time readers. Yeah, so the text says, and she will be saved uh, through childbearing. And so what on earth is that talking about? Like, is, obviously, I think we can say what it does not mean. It certainly does not mean that uh, you need to have babies in order to be saved. And I think, it, I think it's very clear that um, infertility does not disqualify you from salvation as well. But instead, I think we should understand this, uh, you know, as a synecdoche or, or some, uh, the, this woman's role of childbearing really stands for her greater role as, uh, as a woman, um, as a woman in general. And so meaning that as a woman embraces the created role that God has given her, she will be spiritually preserved. Now, is that a plausible reading? Is that possible? I think so. Uh, the word there for saved is sozo in Greek. And as you guys know, like sozo uh, has some semantic range there. I think we could, we could talk about preservation, spiritual preservation. And so childbearing here most likely refers to the woman's broader domestic sphere uh, role. And uh, so a woman is, to under, is understood to be protected spiritually by... Um, committing herself and living out her role in the family and the domestic sphere so and and maybe there's even a sense uh, or i don't know uh I, I wonder whether there's a sense in which that's embracing that role uh becomes the context in which she demonstrates faith because i would imagine it takes a lot of faith to believe that you know god's got a plan for me and that this is a worthy plan particularly and more so in our culture where we're kind of told that that's not a worthy use of a, of a, of a person's time and energy and uh, so to trust that that this is going to be worth it that that creating you know being a co-creator with god bringing up little people that that that's a worthy endeavor i would imagine that was a leap of faith in any generation but i would say particularly in our generation right absolutely and ju just because also that it says here that uh, women or sorry men are the ones who are to be the teaching authority in the church does not preclude women from teaching there are so yeah. many opportunities that the scripture gives for women i love this about the scriptures um god god empowers women he, he gives them places for teaching and uh, other many other places for service and so I, I would encourage other women to if they're gifted to teach other women and children but, um, but, but to embrace God's ways as right and what lead to life. Well, I don't want to put you on the spot, Jesse, but uh, Mark and I are a little older. So it, in a sense, it takes less courage for us. I don't know, Mark, if that's fair to say, but I mean, when I started out in ministry, I don't know that I personally knew a pastor who didn't sort of agree with the old traditional notion that men and women are equal, but different. And that we've both been assigned spheres that are incredibly valuable, but uh, when I started in ministry, I didn't know anybody who sort of thought it was mix and match and do whatever, do whatever you like. So I don't know that it took a lot of courage for me to land here. I, I read the Bible. That's what I saw. And, and that was what my pastor believed and the pastor before him. But for you, you're the first generation of pastors on the other side of this great divide where evangelicalism is kind of split right down the middle on this. I'm not, how did, I don't know what the right way to say this is, um, how costly was that decision for you? How difficult was it for you to land on this? How, did you face a lot of pressure? Yeah, you know, I, 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 wonder, I wonder how much this is really, has really affected my relationships with, with others. I, I think I always just try to make sure that whatever I, I'm believing, I'm speaking the truth in love. I never want to, um, 
you know, uh, condemn someone uh, for, for believing something that, that I don't. But I, I'm also called to look at the scriptures and say, you know, what is true? What does God's word really say? And so, uh, so I, I don't know that I've lost relationships over it yet. Uh, but I assume, I, well, you know, I did have one, one person uh, refuse to talk to me uh, because of my beliefs in, that there were two genders, uh, just that. Um, yeah. I was in my undergrad. Um, and so they didn't want to, they didn't want to speak with me about that. So I, I don't know that I've paid a huge cost yet, but I feel like the, um, the storm is gathering. So <laughs> if I could say it that way. Well, I don't want to spend too much time talking about this, but, but it is, as I said, maybe the most controversial chapter in the New Testament. And Miranda, here you are, and uh, you're a woman, but you're also a teacher, a well-known teacher and a very competent teacher. How does this, how does this sit with you? Yeah, I think reading the whole book in context and even the pastoral epistles and just even looking at multiple passages as a whole, like what does the Bible say um, about women and men? And I find it really helpful to see like the Apostle Paul throughout First Timothy is really directing Timothy to preach and teach and know sound doctrine and to have his church um be one that promotes sound doctrine and there's this um, aspect of false doctrine going around and kind of which we're going to kind of get into some of that um, but I think like this particular passage within the whole is really helpful to know and even looking at the qualifications of an elder um, an overseer and a pastor and seeing that these restrictions um, are for the good of the church and the good of uh, the people, which include women there. Mm -hmm. I think some of the hard parts are um, misunderstanding, like even the childbearing or even the deception aspect where it says that she was deceived and Adam wasn't in the sense of when you exegete that scripture, well, what does that mean? So does that mean that women are one interpretation of that um, are prone to deception more than men, or are they just inherently um, inferior? So like kind of warning against that, saying, no, that that's not what it's talking about, that when you see that this is an attack on the created order, right. that Adam was created first and then Eve, and that Satan went against that created order and reversed that. And, and just good preaching and teaching will help women to see their importance. Um, and I don't think that any of us would, uh, there's like these polar views about women, you know, like extreme yeah. feminism. And then this also this um, in other places of oppression, true oppression against women. And so there's finding this biblical balance of how to promote women in a way that's biblical and that they feel the freedom to serve and to love God and to mm -hmm. pursue them to for them to pursue God with all of their heart, soul, mind and strength right alongside a man, but knowing that they still have a role and a purpose. And anyway, that's a bit rambly, but yeah, no, that's, kind that's of very well said. One of the things that grieves grieves my heart uh, is just anytime there's a controversy in the church, I find that it it takes about a decade before we can return to the reasonable middle ground because everybody kind of retreats into these extreme positions. And, and uh, I, I agree. I, th I think some very unhelpful things have been said on, on both sides of this issue. And it's, 
it's almost become unpleasant to talk about. And it's unfortunate because I think as a result, we're not talking about the beauty. We're not talking uh, about, for example, what is so beautiful about what the Bible says about women. We just don't want to talk about it. And, and I think as a result, we're actually in a time period where there are lots of people with good theology, but maybe a bit of a, um, a wounded heart. Um, and, and maybe even some of those who are advocating the good theology have a bit of a bitter spirit. And I'd like to get to the place where we could just celebrate the wisdom of the Bible. Like the Bible says, being a, being a parent is a worthy endeavor. And, and that being a co-creator with God is the most amazing thing in the, in the universe. And that we've, we've all been assigned very, 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 very valuable tasks. Um, now let's get on with it and stop and stop arguing about well who can do this and how and, and, and as I said I, I I look forward to the day when we leave these extreme positions and kind of settle into a just an enjoyment of the the wisdom of the Bible. Mark, did you want to pop in on that or we or we covered that? No, I I think you guys have done well. Yeah. Well, if we could stick in, in First Timothy for a second, and, and Miranda, you kind of mentioned this uh, that there's there's a concern there about false teaching. One of the things that I was wrestling with this week, uh, and, and it's COVID-19 related. I mean, I don't, it's not specific to COVID-19. I'm not, I'm not reading that in, but I'm, I'm seeing this with fresh eyes. And I'm, I would say I'm feeling this with fresh urgency. Uh, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, which we read earlier in the week, verses 3 to 7 says this. So Paul says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. But certain persons swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussions. And uh, so I was just, you know, I'm hearing that. And, and I, I did a podcast series on first Timothy. Uh, I think it was last year so. In my mind, I'm remembering the circumstances that basically the heresy that we believed that was going on in Ephesus at the time was a form of sort of vain speculation, Jewish mysticism, most of the commentators say, that people were just getting into, kind of to make a, an analogy, the best analogy to a contemporary situation would be the people who try to figure out the date of the rapture and all, the, all that kind of stuff and put it up on a van. Uh, vain speculations that don't promote love and, and a sincere faith, which is what we're supposed to be stirring up. That in essence, Paul says to Timothy, you, you've got to shut that stuff down in your church. There are people spreading that nonsense, and you've got to shut it down. And of course, as we've talked about already, this COVID-19 thing has stirred up some of the crazy in our churches, if I can use that phrase. Like, all of a sudden, people are saying, well, my rapture clock just started ticking, because, you know, as everyone knows, COVID-19 is the first of the seven seals. And so, uh, you know, everyone's clock is ticking, and now all the silly is out on Facebook. And, and I was just, I was feeling, my heart was starting to patter, uh, pitter patter, like, I guess it's my job now to go around and kind of tamp down the silly. Um, and uh, boy, that's my least favorite thing ever. Any of you feeling that, that same tension? Yeah. So I, I, I addressed, um, I, I addressed it uh, with a, with a little uh, YouTube video uh, without, uh, naming names, but fortunately, which it, is good. It, it, <laughs> Bob, from, I'm speaking yeah. to you right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming from Lean into your computer, Bob. Angle, you know, so, uh, that, uh, uh, you know, and, and so I've got maybe two quick answers to this. One is, uh, it de depends how high, how, how high up the level the silly is coming from too. Yeah. You know, you, you've always kind of got these little fringe people that just sort of are barely part of the congregation, 
and they just don't have a lot of influence and weight and and because they're just so barely part uh, you know i, I don't want to hit them too hard because they might just fall out yes um you know if this was coming from one of my leaders we, yeah. boy, we'd be having some conversation and and you know there have been times when i've seen books i remember a few years ago the he heaven is for real book was real popular yes. yeah yeah and yeah. i i saw it kind of being passed around the back corner of the church and i i finally addressed it uh from the pulpit and and said listen you know we know heaven is for real but we we've got significant reasons why we would have issue with some of the things that are in that book and i took a little bit of flack from it but with this one i just i i put a little video on you know uh and asked the question are are we living in the end times? And I gave the scriptures and said, absolutely, we're living in the end times. And I know that's not the question people want to know. They say, but is this the last year of the end times? And I gave them the passage from Acts chapter one says, that's none of your business. Jesus yeah. told his disciples when they said, Lord, are you going to now establish your kingdom? And he yeah. says, it's not for you to know the date or the time, yeah. Yeah. but it's going to happen. So here's the issue. And I mean, I would hope that people that are listening or, or tuning in now or later would hear this, that there's nothing in scripture that, that assigns the believer or the church to be the watchdog to figure out when it's going to happen. Yeah. Just be busy when Jesus comes back. That's what I tell people. Like, just be busy sharing the gospel with your neighbor, loving yeah. the poor. Like, you do that, you don't need to worry about it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's how I've been dealing with some of those things to say, listen, yeah. here's the call more so than ever let us be faithful to what we've been called to do and yeah. to do that well let's be about the gospel and if this is the last year in the history of, of humanity before jesus comes great and if it's not and there's a hundred more years to come great i know this one thing we can be faithful so let's do that yeah right on yeah, yeah well said anyone else want to chime in on that i guess it would just depend on what was being shared and passed around too like the level of like error, I guess. And um, if it's knowingly, if it's like the conspiracy theories about the government and things well, like that. Well, did you that. see the, the Ed Stetzer article earlier this week, Miranda? No, I didn't. What was that? Yeah, he wrote on that. He, I think what, the title was gullibility is not your spiritual gift or something like that. And he, he says, we got to be careful about spreading these conspiracy theories because it will hurt our witness on the other side. Yeah. And so if it's yeah. something like that's just not wise. Ultimately, right. it's just like trying to promote wisdom over folly. Right. And then if it's knowingly deceitful, if it's just plain false doctrines, kind of like what we were talking about with first Timothy, then I think it, that amps the, the necessity to say something and say, this is actually completely false and you are misleading and deceiving people and the role of the pastor and the overseer and the elder, you know, of course, with to, to have that conversation and, yeah. and ultimately too, like, what is the, are we being beneficial? We should be once full of hope as believers. We have great hope. We are not citizens of this world. We have an eternal kingdom. And so we should be promoting that anyway, not, you know, this kind of yeah. paranoia and fear mongering, you know, anyway. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I want our people to be known as filled with resolve, filled with hope, filled with joy, regardless of the circumstance. I, I don't want us to be known as the people who flew off into vain speculation, you know, at the, at the first sign of, uh, of a, a pandemic, which by the way, this is not the first time we've had a pandemic. Uh, mm -hmm. These things come around uh, and, uh, and I don't, I don't want us to go to pieces as a result. So it's a good word. Jesse, did you want to jump in on that? 
I think the only thing I'd say is I have not I've not heard much silliness, uh, you know, coming from from my people. I actually have not heard uh, any real overreactions. Now that yep. could just be because I haven't heard it. Uh, but you know, the men that I've spoken with, uh, we have our have a men's uh, meeting every other Saturday. We call it our faithful men men's breakfast. And uh, from what I'm hearing from them, uh, it really sounds like they have, they have a good understanding that they realize that we can't know the day or the hour that we are in the season um of the end times like we we don't know whether we're in the last hour because we don't know the day or the hour but uh we need to be ready as if jesus is coming back tomorrow and as if he's coming back in a thousand years so mm -hmm. yeah and, and by and large i would say that's the reaction you get from 99 percent of of your people yeah. um but if there's a handful of them out there then you know as i was reading that this past week i felt like oh boy um you know that, that's that's not my favorite thing uh but that's a responsibility we can't quail from uh, in a time like this, for sure. Uh, I don't know whether this is a, a controversial issue or not, uh, but I wanted to sort of draw your attention to 1 Timothy 5. Uh, I, I'm interested in 1 Timothy 5 just because we we did a study recently in our church in preparation for the launch of uh, a new level of leadership. We, we have, uh, ours is an elder-led church, uh, but we haven't had a diaconate uh, for a number of years. And so we we wanted to introduce that and so we wanted to study what that was. And uh, one of the issues that comes up is what's, what's the role of the diaconate with respect to men and women? Uh, and what, what, how, is, how are deacons different than elders? We don't use those words synonymously. We use them, uh, I think, the way they're used in, in the scriptures with elders being the overseers, deacons uh, managing the benevolent care and uh, visitation and things of that nature. So we looked at 1 Timothy 5 at, at length. I'm curious what you see there. Do you see a proto-diaconate? Uh, do you see an order of women? Do you see a proto, uh, you know, nun movement? What, what are you seeing when you're, when you're reading 1 Timothy 5? Do you want to go uh, first? Yep, jump in there. Yeah, I'll jump in, sure. Sure. Uh, it, you know, as I read it, it, it seems to me that, that there was something established there in the church. Yeah. I mean, uh, verse nine there says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years. So they're enrolling widows into something there. Now, now are they enrolling them into something as far as this is a, uh, 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 I don't want to use the word welfare, but I mean, I, 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 you know, we're enrolling you here so that you're going to get a dole. You're going to be, yeah, they're on the payroll in some sense. You're going to get something, you know, but it seems that they have some sort of a, a, a spiritual role. And I, I've never really thought about it in, in the question of a, of a proto-diaconate. Uh, I do uh, think from other passages in scripture, I, I would lean towards saying, <laughs> this is interesting, we haven't discussed this ahead of time, so I don't know where you ended up, but I would lean towards saying in a church that has a distinct separation between uh, the role of an elder and the role of a deacon, that if you have roles for elders that, that fit the biblical definition of those, and then you've got roles for deacons, that I would say, yes, I think I see in scripture places where there are deaconesses, um, at, at, as long as you've got that distinction there. Um, Interesting, Mark, you know, before this blew up as a controversy, like the, we were talking a few minutes ago, the whole complementarian controversy kind of blew up about 20 years ago. If you get, get into resources from really conservative authors that older than 20 years ago, th there's no shyness about addressing this issue. So one of the books I got a hold of was John MacArthur's book on deacons. And uh, he may, or I think it's called, it's on elders and deacons. Or, or, I, 
but he he comes right out and says he, he believes that there are three offices in the church. Uh, he says there are elders, which you know are elders and pastors, yep. the, the teachers, the overseers, deacons, and then deaconesses. And and he he makes an argument and, and he's not shy about it at all. But now we're shy about it because we're we're worried what people are hearing. Well, there I'm I'm on John MacArthur's side. Yeah, can't go wrong, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, you know, here one other thing I would say about this, um, and uh, my my wife, who who is not an overly vocal person at all, you know, she tends to, you know, I, she would not be happy to be called to the pulpit for any reason. Not even we're going to recognize the pastor and his wife. You know, you yeah, can kind of no. see her look at me like I'm I'm supposed to come up there now, yeah. but she actually took. Uh, 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 a woman to task one time because this woman continually was coming at me saying, you know, we don't like the fact that you people don't believe in women in ministry. And my wife said, I'm offended yeah. that you would suggest that, that I am not in ministry because I'm not a pastor. You know, she says, I have a ministry and I'm involved in ministry. And, and I love that. The fact that, you know, that she stepped up there because we would, make that argument that we do believe in women in ministry absolutely. not an identical ministry to the ministry that men are in yeah. but absolutely every person in ministry so yeah there's a lot more to ministry than preaching down a, a little Thanks. bit of a rabbit trail from first Any, anybody else want to jump in on that first timothy i found that passage fascinating i, I really enjoyed studying it anyone else want to reading of first timothy 2 you look in 3 chapter 3 and it talks about the qualifications of a deacon and it talks about being the husband of one wife, yeah. which that confused me because I knew that there are deaconesses or I've heard that argument for it. So then with, you know, I had to read, um, I had to read more about that since I don't know Greek, that that actually like the argument for that, like the word likewise, and then the, the, um, likewise, the women, kegune. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So yeah. like, if you look at verse eight, they talk about um, the qualifications of a deacon and then in verse 11 like the wives likewise must be yeah. and then it gives the that list that that would be strange for them to give quality that most likely this is talking about deaconesses yeah. rather than the wives of deacons because Otherwise you'd, you'd have had kegune earlier right. for the yeah for sure the elders and so then when you read into five chapter five this just seems like normal christian loving one another behavior right and this kind of pairs well with chapter two of titus of the older women teach the younger women the younger women care for the older women yeah. especially when they're widows and there's this you know this cycle of love and care and ministry um that's just the fruit of being a believer that's kind of how i read it like this is the way a believer acts and if you're a woman this is you care for women in these particular ways it's interesting to see it lived out in an ancient church. When I was over in India a couple of years ago, we visited a, a tribal uh, church and they had, they introduced a bunch of these women who were on the church payroll. They were, they were all poor. They were poor widows, women in their 60s, 70s and 80s whose, whose husbands had died. And they were receiving um, basically a monthly supply of, of rice and water and food but then they had to report back on people that they'd visited. And this, so they, they had been given basically a visitation list and it was not quid pro quo, but there was a sense in which they were on the, the dole or the church payroll, but they had certain benevolent tasks to fulfill, which, I mean, it, it that feels very much like what I'm seeing in first Timothy five. Well, Jesse, were you with me on that trip? 
Uh, I'm, I don't think so. You don't remember that? Okay. Anyway, but that, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was fascinating to see that I, stepping into tribal churches in India is like going back in time, uh, two or 3000 years. So it gives you a different perspective. Um, Jesse, unless you wanted to jump in on that, Evan, do we have questions from watchers and viewers? Okay. I had one, uh, somebody was asking me at what point, uh, fear being afraid because of COVID-19 at what, this was a question that was emailed to me, uh, at, at what point that constitutes a sin? Like when is being anxious about this whole COVID-19 thing? At what point does that cross the line and become unfaith? Any of you want to tackle that? All fear other than the fear of God is sin. Um, I, I would say that. And um, even little anxieties. I mean, every, every all the teaching of Jesus, Jesus stilling the storm. Oh, you of little faith. Why were you afraid? Um, you know, Peter walking on water. Oh, you of little faith. Uh, Jesus saying, do not worry about your life. Um, so in saying all, I think all fear is sin, is sinful. Um, when we look at Jesus, is there ever a time in Jesus' life, ever a time when Jesus shows fear? I mean, in the garden, is that fear? Or, I mean, that's, that's a, you know, I think that's a, a knowledge of what is coming and, and the, the, the anguish, sweat, yeah. great drops of blood, that's an anguish over it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't say that to discourage somebody, um, because I think that anytime we get a letter from Paul or Peter or John, and there's instruction in there, be anxious for nothing. Um, he's pointing out the fact that, you know, this is, this is a struggle that he knows the church is having, uh, but he's also giving instructions saying, don't do that. Go, don't go that way. So um, well, let me, let me push back though, and just play devil's advocate. I but yeah, let, me, let me push back and say, what if somebody says, you know, but fear is just a, a reaction, right? Like if a tiger drops through the ceiling tiles in my office and all the hair on my arm stands up because my body has just released, you know, adrenaline and, and my pupils dilate, um, is that a sin? Or are you saying, are you using fear and disbelief interchangeably? Because the examples that you gave sound more like disbelief, disbelief in God, and rooted in a lack of faith in God and who he is rather than fear as an emotional response. Um, would you say that they're one in the same or are there distinctives between fear and disbelief? Well, I, I, Martin Luther said this about lust, but I like it for fear too. So Luther said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. Um, and, uh, and, and he said that about lust, like meaning you're, you're not responsible if, uh, you know, somebody walks by and you, and you just have a flash of attraction or whatever, that's the bird flying over your head. But if you linger on that thought and you, and you give space for that thought, you're, that's, that's sin. And I would say the same with fear. I mean, I, I think, you know, if you're, if your blood pressure doesn't go up a little bit, or if you're, if your hair doesn't stand up a little bit, when you hear that the stock market has crashed, uh, you know, by, 15% and over a week, then, you know, you're probably not very good at math. Uh, but if you linger over that and you start worrying, well, what's going to happen to my retirement and what's going to, where am I? And maybe I shouldn't, you know, continue to be generous and all. Okay. Now, now you're, you're nurturing fear and, and now you're, you're not acting in faith. Mark, does that sit well with you? I see a scowl on your yeah, face. 
let me uh, let me adjust my answer, but not really retract it. Um, uh, I, let me say that um, I think fearfulness is a condition of fallenness. So it's not necessarily, uh, you know, a, a sin of, hmm, I, you know, these live things, you can wander into all kinds of traps. But, you know, um, the first time we ever see somebody afraid is Adam in the garden after he's taken the fruit. And the Lord says, where are you? He said, I'm, I, I'm just hiding. Why are you hiding? Well, I was afraid, yeah. you know. And I think as we grow, and I'm certainly not saying that I never fear, but I'm also not on here saying I never lust. I would say that I don't want to lust. And when I find lust at work in me, I want to repent of that and turn away from that and, and, and despise that. And in the same way as fear works upon me, and I do like your illustration from Luther, I think that works for fear as well. Um, as we grow in our maturity, um, the, the, the more mature a believer is, the, the less grip fear yep. to no, have on them. You know, because they, they begin to say, uh, everything in this life, this is all temporal. It's beautiful. It glitters. It's wonderful. It's not wrong to enjoy it. But I, I'm not going to fear uh, the loss of it because all of this is temporary. And I think that's something that comes to a mature believer. But. Well, if I could, uh, you know, take Luther's uh, illustration and, and butcher it and take it further than it should go, I would say maybe the older you get, the less hair you have for the birds to make a nest in, right? Like there's, there's just less. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> there's, you can compensate though, Paul. I yeah, <laughs> but there's less purchase, I, I think. Um, it, the more solidity there is to, to your faith, the less purchase there is for fear. Jesse, did you want to pop in there? Yeah, I wanted to actually echo something that Miranda said earlier is I think a, a lot of um, a lot of our fear stems from unbelief. And I, I think that's really clear, actually, from Hebrews 11 is a, a lot of our sin just in general stems from unbelief and we can't yeah. please God unless without faith. And so uh, when we look to the scriptures and we see, you know, God speaking to his people, comforting his people, Isaiah 41, 10, for example, uh, fear not for what? For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. And so what is God doing? He's at one at one point correcting them. And on the other hand, reminding them of who he is okay. so that uh, they can have yet another opportunity to trust in his character. Yeah. And so, so I, I really do want to kind of echo what Miranda was saying there. I think I, I, a lot of fear can stem from unbelief. And so one thing I've been trying to encourage my people with is that, listen, we're people of faith in who God is. Uh, not a fear. Uh, we're, we're also people of wisdom. God gives us uh, wisdom, but we want to remember who God is amidst us. He's the God above the storm. He's the one um, who's large and in charge sitting on his throne right now. Yeah. The better you know God, the easier it is to be at rest in these trials. Right. Mark, were you uh, looking something up to share or are you? Uh... I, I just, I, going right to John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I mean, Jesus' words to his disciples, knowing the wave that is about to crash upon them, knowing that these guys are going to deny and and scatter and hide, still says to them, you know, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. Hey, I've got a follow-up question. Uh, it's from the same question, but it's, it's a follow-up. So the person is saying, so what do you suggest a person do to keep that fear from making that nest especially since our schedules are uh, so amiss and our structure has been uh, so destroyed through all. So what would you suggest? So obviously we've got some people out there struggling with fear. 
Um, go ahead, Miranda. The times that I, because I am a fearful person. So yeah. just, I resonate with this question. And if I, if it is rooted in disbelief or unbelief in God, then what do I need to do? I need to put God's word in my mind and I need to meditate on God's word. And the times that I have really struggled with believing God's promises or feeling just discontent in life or just the unknowns, like, am I ever going to fill in the blank? Like feeling like just, I have, I'm looking at the black void ahead of me. I found great comfort and hiding God's word in my heart. And just really, if that's all I did, I couldn't go through four chapters, but I just memorized, you know, um, Proverbs three. And I went through like, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge me. And then just keep going through that. And even at night, like sometimes falling asleep to um, either listening to scripture or like saying Psalm 23, which we're going to talk about later and just going through and just reminding myself of the truth, which we've talked about how Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about in spiritual depression. It's, we have to speak to our souls. We have to redirect our minds and preach the gospel to ourselves because um, to quote another pastor, but uh, Paul David Tripp talks about how spiritual battles happen mostly in our minds. That's where um, the spiritual warfare is happening. So like Romans 12, one, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So if we're not in the word daily, um, if we're not memorizing it, if we're not listening to it, if we're not reorienting ourselves back to that, um, then we are going to get like, we're going to drift away into our fears. And then there is great comfort because if we look at the scriptures so many times, like you say, Joshua, do not be afraid for I'm with you. Isaiah, when you walk through the waters, I will be with you. And that fear, we can just if you didn't know where to go, like just go to your concordance and look at fear and then look up every single time fears mentioned and look for patterns in the scriptures where it talks about that, write them down, post them all over your walls, whatever you need to do to make that really stick in your heart. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I love that quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. I think he said either the secret to uh, mental health, or he said the way to work your way out of depression or which, whatever the setup was, he says it's to spend less time listening to yourself and more time talking to yourself. And of course, the best way to talk to yourself is to talk to yourself in the language of the Bible. And I would say specifically to talk to yourself in the language of the Psalms. Mm. And just as I thought it was a neat, uh, I think I used the phrase, a humorous providence of God that, you know, this past week, we, we read that verse twice about the prudent seeing danger and hiding himself, the simple going on and, and being destroyed. In the same way that that was a humorous providence, I found it a very gentle providence that this past week, as we were all wrestling, you know, starting to feel that fear, is the economy going to be there? You know, is the government going to be able to take care of my financial needs? All of that stuff. Am I going to get sick? All the fears that a person might have. In the providence of God, we were also reading Psalm 23 this week. So Mark, I, I thought this would be a good place for us to land. Maybe uh, you could read Psalm 23 for us, and then uh, we'll just talk about it for a minute, and then we'll we'll pray it. We'll we'll use those words to uh, close our time in prayer. A Psalm of David: The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. W.S. Plumer uh, said that there are, in all probability, no six verses in the Bible that have been so frequently and profitably memorized as these. Uh, so, Mark, maybe since you read it, you could start us off. Why, uh, why is Psalm 23 such a useful psalm in general, but such a, such a helpful psalm in times like this? Uh, I, well, I think it's beautiful. I think that's part of the reason why people all over the world uh, learn it and memorize it. I think the, the imagery is rich. I also think the Holy Spirit is in that. I use this psalm more often in funerals of unbelievers than anything else because God has already seeded the field. And when I use it, I always say, I, I want to I add one word to scripture and I want to add the, the little word if at the beginning, if the Lord is my shepherd, and then we go from there. Um, it's very, it's tremendously useful. Um, it talks to us. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that opens the door to talk about the imputed righteousness of Christ and what it is for God to lead me into a path where he can bless me. It, it diffuses the false teaching of prosperity gospel that says, yeah. if you're a Christian, nothing bad will ever happen to you because, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Um, it, we are going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The psalmist knows that and we know that um uh, you know but surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and i shall dwell in the house of the lord forever if the lord is my shepherd here's my assurance uh goodness and mercy will follow me if the lord is my shepherd i will dwell in the house of the lord forever and i always wrap up the funeral by asking the question who, who is who is this shepherd does he have a name and taking them to to jesus statement i am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So um, this, is, this is a rich psalm, and it's in so many minds. It, it opens the door for some great conversations with your neighbors or your friends. If, if mm -hmm. say, you know the 23rd Psalm, do you know what it yeah. means? Yeah, right on. You guys want to jump in on that? Yeah, so um, the Lord is my shepherd. What, do, what does that mean, that God is our shepherd? It means that he leads us. It means that he provides for us, and it means that he protects us. And so even, even if our mortal bodies will perish, our souls will be preserved forever. And this mortal body will be raised in the likeness of his again. And uh, we have an eternal hope because of our shepherd uh, who protects us, who protects us uh, with regard to our souls. And, uh, you know, he'll provide for us uh, whatever need we have to do his will. Um, he will provide it and he will lead us. He will, he will show us um, the right direction to be walking during this time. You know, I, I find a lot of solace for my soul in this, in these verses, because it really points me to who God is. And it reminds me that I don't need to fear because this great God, this great shepherd who's in control of all things is with me. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't need to be dismayed because he's got a rod and he's going to fend off the wolves <laughs> for me. Yeah. And he's going to protect me with that same, with that same rod. He's going to hold me hold me near. Sometimes, you know, he might uh, break my, my ankle, wound me so that he might heal me, but he's for me 
as one of his children and not against me. And uh, so he does these things for my good and for his glory. So I'd say, uh, you know, he restores our soul. You know, he brings us, he brings us to the waters of life. He fills us with spirit. Jesse, I, I, you know, I wonder if, if, you know, and again, we've got to be cautious here about saying, well, this is the reason for, and I'm not saying this is the reason, but I wonder if our reason for this whole COVID-19 thing is for God to lead us by still waters and restore our souls, right? We're, we're, we're such a busy culture and, and uh, contemplation is not our thing. And, and uh, I remember from screw tape letters, you know, one of the, one of the devil strategies to keep us run and keep us busy. I wonder if, if there's a slowdown here, if there's a purpose of God, just bringing us to the still waters to restore our souls. Yeah. Miranda, you were talking about this is one of the Psalms you, you sort of recite as you're going to sleep, but how does it speak to your soul? I think for many times I didn't really even understand what it meant. Um, I knew like I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, but not really understanding a valley being a place of vulnerability and really mm -hmm. thinking at, from a perspective of warfare Again, maybe that's just being a woman or not having ever gone to war. But, you know, when you're in the mountains or if you are walking, if you are below and someone is above, they can, they have that upper ground to see you and to see where you're walking and you are vulnerable. And even just thinking through what this means. And as I've been listening through the Pilgrim's Progress, you know, just mm -hmm. thinking of like, okay, this is, there's so much beauty in this. And kind of like listening to Pilgrim's Progress and then keeping this of the in your mind as well of these kind of going side by side. Of, Pilgrim's Progress at times reads like a commentary on Psalm 23, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. And, you know, the valley, um, the delectable fields, I think, or where the shepherds are there at the end, right before they get to the uh, the river to get to the celestial city. There's this, there's just such beauty in, yeah. like Mark was saying, and Jesse of such beauty in the psalm and then such comfort and um, knowing that that table is going to be set yeah, before the yeah. presence of our enemies and and feeling that, I don't know, just that comfort. It's hard to really even nail it down. It kind of moves because um, it because it's all of those things. It's kind of like an emotion. It kind of washes over yeah, you. Yeah, it, it is like an emotion. And I think that's okay, right? Like uh, St. Augustine said, let the, the emotion of the psalms define and direct your emotions right and mm, i think that's good i i think that like we have an emotional bandwidth and when we step into the psalms that bandwidth is is curtailed and directed the way the way it ought to be meaning if if it it, it lifts us up if we have trouble exalting it it lifts us up if we have time uh, trouble being grounded it it brings mm -hmm. us down it it corrects and corrals our emotions and i think that's part of the function of the psalm so i think that's okay Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I wanted to, uh, to end just by praying, uh, being informed by Psalm 23. So uh, why don't I do that? And uh, just before we go, thanks for joining us. Uh, those of you who are watching at home, we appreciate you. And uh, hopefully you have uh, announced yourself and, and done all the things that uh, make this a little bit interactive. And uh, hopefully we'll get into the habit of uh, asking some more questions. Thank you for those who did submit questions. And we look forward to being with you again. But let me close our time in prayer using Psalm 23. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, you, uh, you are our shepherd. You are a great creator king, uh, but you are also our covenant Lord. You are our Father who art in heaven. And Lord, it's, it's amazing to think that the God of the universe, the one who holds 
uh, the, the cosmos in his hands is near to us and personal to us and, and takes ownership for us as a shepherd to the sheep. Lord, we're thankful for that. Lord, we're thankful we received this season as from your hand. Lord, we're, we're not unmindful of the fact that many people are suffering. And so we do ask that you would minister to them, that you would comfort them, that you would raise them up. But we do also see in this a slowing, uh, a time of rest, an enforced Sabbath almost. And we pray, Lord, that in this time, uh, you would restore our souls, uh, that you would speak to us in ways that uh, perhaps we haven't heard you speak before. Uh, Lord, we, we pray that you would lead us uh, and restore us. And uh, Lord, we, we know that this is the right path, that this, it, it, Scripture says you lead us uh, in right paths and straight paths. And Lord, this doesn't feel like the right path to us. We wonder why we have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. This feels like a detour. This feels like a missed tour, turn. But Lord, we trust you. We trust that you know the right way from A to B. And that this is something that we need. This is something we have to go through. We don't need to know why, Lord. We don't need all the answers. We just need to know that you're in charge and we see you. We see you at the front of your people. We, we see you leading us and, and uh, protecting us from, from dangers, leading us in experiences that will be for our good. The Lord knows the way that we take. And when he has tested us, we shall come forth as gold. Lord, we are taking that on faith. And Lord, we're also looking forward to you hosting us as has been mentioned, Lord, this is a journey like Pilgrim's Progress. We look forward to sitting down at your table in the celestial city, being treated as honored sons and daughters. We, we look forward to having our heads anointed with oil, our cup filled to overflowing, and all our bruises and all our travel weariness will be forgotten. Lord, how we long for that day. We trust that you will see us safely across uh, the river, our last challenge and and that when we get to the gates, Lord, we will be welcomed in and we will sit with you and sup with you and enjoy you and one another forever. So, Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful that if we are in Christ, then nothing can steal that outcome from us. And so we are thankful. We are resolved and we are sitting comfortably in the path of your purpose. And we're giving you thanks now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, thanks for joining with us, and uh, thank you each for, uh, for contributing, and we look forward to seeing all of you again next Thursday, God willing, at 8 p.m. Thank you. God bless. Amen.